Gracious God and Father, you have promised that your word which goes forth from your mouth will not return to you empty, but it will accomplish what you desire. It will succeed in the matter for which you have sent it. May your word have its way, we pray, in every heart this day, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. So our gospel reading is from John 17, and Jesus prays in this lesson for this morning. And it's interesting, he prays not for the world, into which he has come, into which he's been sent, he prays not for the world, but he prays for his disciples. Now, why? Why would Jesus consider prayer for us to be even more important than prayer for the world? Well, maybe for this reason. He will serve the world through us. He will come in contact with the world through you and through me. Therefore, we need prayer. I recall the uh, great flood back in 2008. Hall Creek flooded and devastated parts of Columbus. And our Senate headquarters sent some relief to Columbus, but not to individuals. No, they sent the relief to the congregations of Columbus for distribution to the individuals. They understood that we knew best who needed the help the most. And after all, you and I are the hands, the feet, the voice of Jesus. We are members of his body. And he sent us to a world that is dying. Now, the world is not only dying, the world is a very dangerous place, especially for Christians. The world is dangerous for us because, as Jesus says in our gospel reading, we are not of the world. We are strangers and aliens here. Strangers, aliens don't always receive the most welcome reception. Roman numeral one, page nine of your bulletin. Jesus prays that his disciples be protected. That we be protected. And letter A, joy. Joy is a recurring theme in John's gospel. And it, it really uh, is present in our gospel reading for today as well. Verse 13 on page eight. But now I am coming to you, Father, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So the Christian life is, among other things, a life of joy. It is a life of joy in seeing the lost found, seeing the strays return, seeing broken relationships healed and restored. And we have joy in knowing that no matter what tomorrow may bring, Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. That's our joy. Joy often in the midst of sadness and sorrow, and yet it is real joy. And that joy is important because letter B, Christ's word, or we could say his, his values, 
his ethics, his morals, put us at odds with the world that hates us. Verse 14, Jesus says, I've given them, meaning us, your word. See, that's the problem. We've been transformed by the word. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are, we could say, no longer of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. He's stronger than we are, you see. They are not of the world, just as I am not. That is to say, we don't share the world's values. We don't affirm the world in whatever it wants to do next. And it's always evolving. The sexual revolution is always evolving. And because we don't affirm the world in its rebellion against God, the world mocks us, the world despises us. And so we have this odd relationship with the world in which we live. We're in it, but we're no longer of it. Letter C. Disciples live between the Lord's joy on the one hand and the world's hate on the other. And, and Jesus prays that we may be given enough of the former that we can overcome the latter. That we be given enough of the joy so that we can overcome the hate that we encounter. And for example, in Acts chapter 5, uh, we, we read that even when the disciples were persecuted by the Jewish authorities in Jerusalem, they were filled with joy. Why? Because they interpreted that persecution as more evidence that they belonged to the Lord. They counted it joy that they were worthy to be, suf to be suffering for the name of Jesus. And so, even in the worst circumstances, there is joy in following Jesus. Roman numeral two. Jesus prays that his disciples be sanctified, consecrated, or holy, set apart for God's use. You know, in the Old Testament, uh, the, the vessels in the tabernacle, the instruments were, were holy. They weren't to be used for ordinary meals. They were, be, they were to be used only in the service of the Lord. That's set apart. It's holy to the Lord, you see. It means to be set apart for God's service, for God's use. That's what we are. And so let me ask you this. How good are you at separating yourself from sin? How good are you at that? Do you believe that your sinning days are behind you? How good are you at controlling your tongue or mastering your thoughts? If you're like me, there's a lot of room for improvement in both areas and more. And, and I think all of us are like the Apostle Paul who wrote, the good that I want to do, I don't, and the evil that I don't want to do, I do. All too often, that's the case with us. But the good news is, God's ability to forgive far exceeds our ability to offend. None of us excels at separating ourselves from sin, but Jesus excels at separating us from the consequences 
of our sin, the punishment for our sins, by taking that punishment upon himself at the cross. Letter A, he sanctifies himself or consecrates himself, meaning he sets himself apart as the sacrifice for our sins. That's what he's consecrated or set apart for. At the cross, Jesus earns your forgiveness. But it is in preaching the cross, the cross of Christ, that that forgiveness is distributed. It's given out to you. It's in baptism that forgiveness is, again, distributed or given out to you. It's in the Lord's Supper that, once again, that forgiveness is distributed. It's given out to you. And letter B, he prays that his sacrifice will move us to be sanctified or set apart for service to the world. For service to the world. And my friends, what we model for the world is not perfection. Rather, what we model for the world daily is repentance toward God and faith in the gospel of our forgiveness. That's what we model for the world. And this is our witness to the world, our complete dependence upon Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, our complete dependence upon Christ for our holiness and our sinlessness. I don't see sinlessness in my daily life, but I believe in my sinlessness before God because Christ is my righteousness, and he is yours as well. We are holy and righteous before God through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the gospel, and that is our confidence now and on the day of judgment, and that is our witness to the world. Now look at verse 18. As you have sent me into the world, Jesus prays, so I have sent them into the world. Now that's quite a statement. Just as he's been sent, you and I have been sent meaning you and I are just as vital, we are just as necessary to the world as Jesus is. In one sense, we're on the same level with Christ in terms of reaching the world. And letter C, and I, I, I love this a quote from Frederick Dale Bruner. We should have a modest but real Messiah complex about ourselves. We must have a modest but real Messiah complex about ourselves. Now, in psychology, a Messiah complex is kind of a delusion where a person believes that he or she is necessary for the salvation of the world, right? And we would call that, in most people, a delusion. But in Jesus, it's not a delusion at all. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. And he backs up the claim. He backs up the claim by performing miracles, by fulfilling prophecy, and by rising from the dead to cap it all off. And he makes known his saving work through you and through me. Now, we don't deserve that honor, but it is ours by grace and by grace alone. I noted earlier, Jesus does not pray for the world. He explicitly doesn't pray for the world. He prays for us. Why? Because we are his hands, we are his feet, we are his lips, his voice to a world in need, calling the world to repent and to believe the good news that God has for them. And next to his dying and rising, the most important thing Jesus can do for the world is to pray for us. 
because we are his instruments in bringing that salvation to all. Therefore, we're the ones who need help. We're the ones who need prayer because we are the only ones on earth able to reach the lost. My friends, the lost cannot find themselves. They can't rescue themselves from false teaching. They don't know false teaching from true. They cannot rescue themselves from sin and from death. Only Christ can do that, and he will do it through people like sinners like you and like me when we speak the truth in love to the world. Now you have in your worship bulletin something that you often have in your bulletin. It's an invitation card about our weekly services and other opportunities here at Grace. Make use of it. Make use of it. Invite others to come. I guarantee you they will hear about God's love for them. They'll also hear about their sinfulness, if that's okay. But it's true. And the good news is they're already forgiven. Only Jesus accomplishes the world's salvation, my friends. But he will deliver that salvation through what we do and through what we say. That's why we need prayer, and that's why Jesus prays for us more than for anyone else. This world is a dangerous place, especially for Christians. But be of good cheer. Be confident before the world. Because, Roman numeral three, you have been prayed for. You have been prayed for by someone who's very good at it, <laughs> meaning Jesus. You've been prayed for by the one whom the Father always hears. Therefore, go forth boldly into the world, knowing that you are the hands, the feet, the voice of the forgiving Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.